Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hola, and welcome to Streets Ahead, your podcast dedicated to active travel, machines that glide along ghost-like and safer neighborhoods. I'm Laura Laker. I'm Adam Tranter. And I'm Ned Bolting. So we are carried eerily into this episode atop teeny tiny wheels. In other words, we're talking about e-scooters. Now, e-scooters are still illegal in the UK, but the government has permitted 12-month trials of rental e-scooters as part of a green restart for local journeys and to help people avoid public transport. Um, So, uh, yeah, we're talking about e-scooters today, but um, probably the question on everyone's uh, lips, Ned, is how's your wing? How's your shoulder doing? Oh, bless you for for asking. Well, it's... um it's quite painful actually, but it's a, it's a everyday miracle, isn't it? That I've, the NHS has saved me because if they hadn't intervened, I would never be able to use my right arm again. So thank you to, I mean, you know, and I didn't get a bill at the end and all those kind of cliches. So it is amazing, but I, it has occurred to me that it's quite a long way back and the physiotherapy is going to be slow and all that sort of thing. And just before we started recording, I was actually telling you that um, it's had an kind of unexpected and unpleasant impact on my working life and my commuting life and the way I get around London because I can't ride a bike. I mean, it'll be months before I can, which is, I've suddenly realised in the absence of being able to ride a bike, quite how important a piece of my life that's, you know, is missing now and, and how it's just such a fundamental everyday tool that I can no longer avail myself of. Um, and now because of tier two COVID restrictions in London, um, I, I'm, I'm actually working right over the other side of London at the moment, commentating on the Vuelta, which is why you said hola at the beginning of the podcast. Thank you for that. Thanks. Um, <laughs> but I, my, my boss quite understandably has asked me to refrain from taking public transport to work. 
um, which would have been my second choice, you know, uh, after after cycling. So I'm, I'm actually right now reduced to um, to driving an electric car across town that has been hired for me. And it's the first time I've kind of spent any time behind the wheel of a car in London for years and years and years. And I tell you what, yeah. it's horrible. Um, it's pretty slow going, isn't it? It's just gruesome. And the drivers are quite surprisingly. Uh, oh, I don't know. It's just wasted time. Yeah. I'm just wasting three days of my of every yeah, three hours of every day. So I, I don't know if electric scooters would be the answer. Perhaps that yeah, would be right. An electric scooter, arm. ride an electric scooter. Oh, now. It's, Come on. it's kind of eighteen miles. Um, I, I'm also yeah. very kind of you know I can just about drive, but I'm a little bit one one handed still. You know my right arm has got quite restricted. I don't know if I don't know if electric scooters are the answer, but I'd be interested to no, find out. No, not for you. Yeah. Um, electric tricycle. Right. Okay. You could do that one handed. Uh, that sounds like a, a plausible thing. I shall. Uh, or a recumbent, actually. Or as you, or as a, a cargo bike, a passenger cargo bike situation. Cargo yeah. Bike, yeah, let's yeah. get on pedal me. They'll give you a lift. I'm sure. They'll give me a lift, right? I just get a scarf and a woolly hat and um. Sit in a, <laughs> it is cold. <laughs> Honestly, I, I'm going to genuinely look into all these options though, because I've got, yeah. I've got, I've got another couple of weeks, two and a half weeks of this and it's already, you know, doing my head in. So there we go. They have actually got insulated um, ponchos on pedal me. Me and my sister, my sister came to visit a few weeks ago and uh, they took us from Paddington all the way to East London. It was brilliant. Wow. I mean, she had a great time. So yeah, we were, but we were pretty cold. We were, yeah. We were wearing our coats for like an hour after we got home. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's fun anyway. Yeah. If you wear the right clothes. Let's not um, let's not get let's not on the sidetrack. We've already gone to bicycles. No. Don't let's not forget the future of e-scooters. Yeah, electric scooters. Um, I right. I have an e-scooter anecdote. Um, to I have two e-scooter anecdotes which um I want to share because one is very positive uh, and one is very negative. Um, uh, and, and and probably reflects the kind of polarizing stuff that we've seen um, with anything that's new on our roads and and, and slightly different. Um, we uh, we as work went down to um, Pure Electrics uh, offices and uh, to have a meeting and 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 uh, I rode loads of e-scooters on their private land and it was great fun. Uh, it is literally like it's just amazing. Uh, it's great fun and um, I can totally see the uh, the appeal of um of 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 those kind of e-scooters and privately owned e-scooters uh, as well um i also have tried out the e-scooters that came to uh the streets of coventry as part of a trial um and, oh, yeah. and coventry responded um with the shortest e-scooter trial in history um and <laughs> i was gonna say you got there in the four days that yeah, they were operational yeah. it was four or five days i think it's probably five days to be fair to them um and um <laughs> And I went on the radio to talk about this, but I, 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 the point I raise is what what problem are we trying to solve here? Because in Coventry City Centre, which is where the trial was, um, which is separate to the privately owned e-scooters, which are technically you know are illegal, but the the, the trial in the Coventry City Centre, you can walk across Coventry City Centre in about 20 minutes, like from ring road to ring road, like you can, you can uh, walk across it. Um, I estimate that probably half of the city centre is already pedestrianized. Um, and that just leaves a couple of roads basically that you can ride an e-scooter on. Um, and I decided to do this to try it. Um, and I, I went from the station into the city center, which is, you know, it's a six minute walk, um, and, 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 and did it. And, um, it was sort of to start with, it was fun, but then it just got progressively more petrifying because the, the GPS chip, 
um, had so many uh, on the map, had so many places you couldn't go on an e-scooter, probably rightly, and we'll discuss that. But you know, you couldn't go on pavements uh, rightly. Uh, I think couldn't go in the pedestrianised areas. Certain areas that were semi-shared usage, it reduced the scooter to five miles an hour. So mm-hmm. I was riding along the Corporation Street in Coventry which is a 20 mile an hour road with buses. Um, and as I was going along the scooter, I, I went adjacent to a pedestrianized area, but not, I was on the road and the scooter thought I was in the pedestrianized area. So in the middle of a junction went from 15 miles an hour to five miles an hour, which practically feels like you're stopping, uh, with a bus behind me, who'd already become accustomed to my speed with these newfangled, you know, um, vehicles. And then all of a sudden I just stopped in the middle of a junction. Um, and of course I was, totally powerless, both literally and, and, um, metaphorically, because I couldn't do anything in this situation. I just, I just legged it onto the, onto the pavement and jumped off the, off the e-scooter. And, you know, that's a, that's a teething problem, but, <laughs> but, you know, I, 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 and I raised this and to be fair, they, they've acknowledged, uh, the, the, the issue, but what seems to be happening now is that the e-scooter trial will try and actually solve a problem. So it's not going to be in the city center. It's going to be along key corridors in uh, coming into Coventry city centre from the suburbs and maybe to the university, University of Warwick and things like that. Um, that seems more logical to me, but then there's a question of the infrastructure. You know, there's, there's no infrastructure to ride these things. Um, and in a, in a small city, like a lot of these cities that they're, they're, you know, they're not cycling or active travel or mobility cities yet. Um, so I think I feel with the rentals we're running before we can walk or, or scooting before we can, I don't know what the, well, I need to come mm. something clever there, but I didn't. Um, but yeah, yeah so, so, so I, I just don't, I don't know really. I mean, two minds, two minds where we're at at this minute. Sounds like you've kind of encountered a lot of the problems that these, that these schemes have and kind of summed them up in that experience, really. Um, I think where there's infrastructure, they're great. I was in Paris in February with my boyfriend and um, the they had the uh, transport strikes at the time. And we'd I'd got this uh, place that was a little bit far out of town to the north of in the north of the city. Um, and so um, he was super keen on getting these e-scooters and I wasn't really that bothered Um but um, we got them and it was actually amazing. We'd been trapped on this bus. I've never been on a, such a packed bus in my life. Uh, and then we went to these e-scooters and we uh, we kind of scooted all the way out to um, to the Eiffel Tower from Gare du Nord. Um, and it was the day actually that we had to go back to the Eurostar terminal and um, the return journey. We'd been a bit blasé about how much time we had. Um, and we... But you're on these bike lanes, so it's fantastic. It's actually a really beautiful experience. You're along the Seine, so you're riding along. You're just like, he's like whooping with joy behind me. Um, and at one point, our batteries start running out. And we're like looking at our watches, like, oh, got to get to the train. Stopping, looking for other, like running around, basically, trying to download different apps. There's about three or four operators there. We're running around and all of them have got flat batteries. So we're like desperately trying to pick up. And then we got some. Uh, and then we're going along at like much less than 15 miles an hour. I thought we're getting into a bit of an aero tuck position in the hope that it might go faster, but it was just the battery was dying again. At one point we took a wrong turn and we were going over the cobbles. <laughs> yeah, oh, I've done that. That is, <laughs> we that is sure bad. We weren't sure about whether we were going on the pavement, allowed on the pavement. And I was just like, I just had it on full blast, but it's quite like, it's quite a thing. You're like, really, it really feels like it's sort of wobbling the, the meat off your bones. Um, and uh, yeah, and eventually we, the battery just, his battery died. He was way behind me. I was going to leave him for dead, but I thought I probably should go 
back and like wait. So anyway, he was, yeah, we basically had to abandon these scooters and run to the, to the train. <laughs> it was quite an adventure, but yeah, we had a great time. We were just scooting. And one night um, there were no buses that weren't just absolutely ran to the gills. So we took the scooters as far north as they can go in their geo fence. So we kept looking on the app and seeing where the pink area ended, um, got as far north as we could. We ended up on the road a little bit and that's actually quite terrifying on an e-scooter. I don't know why it's more scary, but somehow it is. So we're on this like painted lane on a road and there's, it's basically like a sort of bit of a dual carriageway, but slower. Um, and so, yeah, we're kind of going along there and eventually we sort of uh, get to the end of the zone. And luckily it was quite near the hotel. So we just uh, stopped them there and uh, and then walked. But yeah, it was it was actually really fun. We had a great time. We we're just zipping around. Uh, yeah, no public transport. So I can definitely see how they're a good replacement, but you need the the infrastructure there, basically, because you, you do not want to be sharing with cars and buses. Yeah, funnily enough, my only experience was in Paris as well a couple of years ago. I mean, they've been proliferating on Parisian streets for a number of years, haven't they? I think this was yeah. two summers ago. I uh, I just finished travelling around on the Tour de France and we spent another couple of nights in Paris. And I, I'd been for a lunch with a um, leading French philosopher in the Sorbonne who I'd commissioned, who's, a, who's also- that's a, that's a lovely little drop that is. It's a fact, it's a fact. And um, he's a guy I'd commissioned to do a wonderful bit of writing. He'd written a poem about the Tour de France for a publication that I edit. And, um, and I wanted to buy him lunch to thank him. And it had been one of the most- wonderful experiences of my life um, because he's a great guy and he's an extraordinary, used to be the cultural attaché to London and all this sort of thing. So I was just, I was blissed out on Paris um, and uh, not for the first time in my life. And at the end of our lunch in which, you know, I'd, I'd managed to down the best part of a bottle of Sancerre, um, <laughs> I, uh, I decided now was the time to try... <laughs> to try a, uh, an e-scooter. So like you, Laura, I, I faffed around trying to download the right app. Um, and, and, I, and I got one. And of course, um, and of course, uh, uh, that it just, I, it woke, it woke the kid in me. I mean, I just thought that it was great fun. Um, <laughs> it is really but I didn't fun. know what the rules were. I didn't know what I could and couldn't do. Um, so it was pretty, it was a pretty anarchic experience, but it was, yeah, it had me whooping for joy. I have to say, um, but the headline I take from what you were saying, Adam, your introduction, and I genuinely didn't know this is I had no idea they were illegal. I knew that their, their, their status was questionable, but I mean, here in London and South London, I've seen so many of them over recent yeah. months. They seem to have popped up like mushrooms um, and people, people, illegal or not, people are using them. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, yeah, exactly. But what, what defines, I suppose my question is to start with, what defines an e-scooter? Uh, what, 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 what is an e-scooter legally? The, what, what, what does the law say about them? Yeah, so I think um, uh, I've um, I've got a basic understanding, but our, our guest will uh, support on that. But what what I understand it to be now is that um, e scooters are have to be each e scooter design actually has to be approved by the Department for Transport. So it's not a uh, it's not a blanket uh, approval in that like you know hoverboards and and those weird electric unicycles and skateboards, electric skateboards. Then they're not all in the same bucket. And actually, I've seen e scooters that you know, do 14 miles an hour. And I've seen e-scooters that do 30 miles an hour. And I, you know, I think it's right that they're not, you know, sort of treated equally. Um, so at the moment in the UK, every e-scooter that's in public trial has to be approved by the Department for, for Transport. And um, I don't know what the, the exact um, 
uh, approval process is and, and, and our guest um, should be able to tell us that because Phil Ellis, who will join shortly, is um, the CEO of Beryl, who are a bike and scooter share company. So has been through this um, been through this process. Um, so so um, we're starting to see, I think, a better quality of e-scooters. And that's one of the worries that we were just talking about on the cobbles. You know, a, a lot of the first generation of e-scooters, you know, are just not suited to British roads or, in fact, many city roads. And they're, they're Chinese imports that are then put, have hardware put on top. And we're starting to see kind of custom scooters for this market now with bigger inflated wheels and, um, and, and, and things like that, which I think is... Um, I think it's positive. You're right, Ned. Like people are using them already. I was just on another um, uh, another talk, and and um, a chap there was showing some data he just collected from the side of the road. And in central London, it was eight percent of of users of the cycle lane in an hour were um, were e scooters. And in where he lived in suburban London, uh, it was twenty percent. I think that's interesting. It's showing that the demand is there, which is why I think it's peculiar potentially that the um, the demand from the public is privately owned e-scooters, which is cost effective. Um, it provides an alternative. The data, I believe, shows that people with privately owned e-scooters use them instead of car journeys. Um, and some research has shown that people who use higher scooters generally use them instead of walking trips. Um, so the, the 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 active travel person and the the kind of mobility person in me like would be thinking actually probably better off to be doing private ones. Um, but we've got into the situation where we're in this trial scheme and it's you know i think it's fair to say it's caused a whole load of discussion you know about the we we did a post on twitter and had loads of responses and some of those questions we'll try and go through today um but we've had questions about um the carbon footprint um of e-scooters from cradle to grave of course they're carbon uh, neutral at the tailpipe but they um that you know they're, they're manufactured in mass quantities and from what I can work out, sort of put in a skip when they're when they're finished with. So there's that. There's um, you know whether we should support them as active travel advocates, um, whether they replace walking trips, why we limit speed and GPS and pavement access for little scooters when we don't do the same for big cars. Um, that's a, that's kind of an interesting theme. That I think so. You know, I, I know. You know, I think we probably know the reasons why. That's the case, but um, I think it's a good challenge because it's fairly ridiculous on the uh, on the face of it. So we'll go through um, we'll go through all of those, and I think another important thing is the accessibility of the pavement space as well. Um, we've seen with bike share and e scooters sort of being left, and I notice this a lot in Paris. And and actually, if you have mobility issues um, or you have sight um, uh, poor sight or anything like that. Um, e-scooters, I think, can probably cause uh, quite a bit of concern for you, uh, quite rightly. But yeah. th that doesn't mean that other things like cars parked on pavements that we seem to not be too bothered about or campaign about don't have an issue as well. So I think there's lots of um, lots of interesting things um, to, to yeah. talk about. They are quite um, tightly geofenced now in Paris. It's like part of the the whole game of um, of like riding one is is trying to find a parking spot, and it is quite. You can see on the app where the parking spots for each different um, provider are, and it, you have to be very precise about where you put it. You can't put it slightly outside, and and they slow down on big pedestrian squares, which makes sense. And then once you're out of the area that you can ride them in, they just turn to this really quite heavy, surprisingly heavy and immovable object. Uh, and the wheels kind of stick. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of unusual in the UK, in in the world. I think we're one of the only European countries to in that they're illegal. Uh, in a lot of the US, they're also, they're, they're legal. Um, 
And it's because of the 1835 Highways Act um, that makes them illegal, which is obviously uh, came about long, long before anyone imagined uh, electric scooters. But um, I think the the London Cycling Campaign did an analysis on your point on um, on which trips they're kind of replacing. It was they they did a sort of analysis from averaging worldwide data from um, e-scooter use and found that 36 um, percent came from of trips on e-scooters came from private vehicles, 37% from walking, 13% from public transport, and just 9% from cycling. And I think one of the issues around user behavior that have been, that's been seen, I mean, maybe in Coventry, it's a different situation. There's not that many options by the sounds of it. You're either on the road with traffic and then the speed's very variable and, and, and surprising, or you're kind of on a shared space. There's no real provision for it. But um I think uh, I think because so few people who are on these e-scooters are cycling already that perhaps how to use them is a bit of a bit of a conundrum. And I think I was speaking to um, Ross Ringham from uh, website Mind the Zag, and he's been looking into e-scooters quite a lot actually. And he's, they've done some great articles on numbers and usage and like the problems that the schemes are facing and all the introduction around the UK. And he found that. Um, because a few of the earlier ones introduced so many e-scooters at once onto the streets where a lot of people don't cycle or don't know how to use them, that you're suddenly getting a lot of people just, you know, really wanting to have a go. They're super popular and they're getting like seven rides per scooter per day, which is astonishing. I think you get three or four per bike hire usually. So these numbers are kind of off the chart. The demand is off the chart, he was saying. Um, but yeah, it's a case of user education as well as um, as well as like just, yeah, just basically introducing them slowly so that people, you can educate people as you go along and then people aren't riding on pavements unnecessarily or you're kind of tweaking the problems and then you set this kind of precedent for user behavior and then it sort of beds in a bit better. I think Coventry was one of the ones where they introduced a lot of um, bikes, at uh, a lot of scooters at once. And they had, um, according to Mind the Zag, they had 7,500 rides in the first five days. Which was seven, yeah, yeah. seven rides per Popular. per scooter per day, yeah, and they did nine thousand six hundred miles combined, which is like ten ten Lands End John O'Groats. So there we go. <laughs> um, it's amazing. I, I think um, one of the what you mentioned the eighteen thirty five law, um, which is my my favourite thing. I'm going to probably read it out in a second, um, but the um, the fact that we have that law which is unintended. Obviously, they weren't thinking about e-scooters uh, in 1835, but we um, we have, unlike Paris, been able to, I guess, choose how we want e-scooters to be integrated into society, um, whereas in Paris, they had no law that would discourage it and it did become a free fall and they they had um they had some issues um basically the 1835 highway act says if any person shall willfully ride upon any footpath or causeway by the side of any road made or set part for the use of accommodation of foot passengers or shall willfully lead or drive any horse ass sheep mule <laughs> swine or cattle or carriage of any description or any truck or sledge upon any footpath or causeway or shall tether any ass horse it goes on um and means that you have to pay a fine so because any scooter is not listed in the list of carriages that fall within the scope, and that's that's how they've been able to keep them off the uh, off the pavements and roads um, so far. Um, so it's yeah, and it's totally bonkers. 
The um, the DFTs actually had to um, to change their use, change their the description of what an e-bike e-scooter is to it's now a sort of classed as a vehicle, and they've had to change the definitions of cycle tracks to cycle lanes to allow vehicles to drive in them as part of the rules. It's all very strange, but this is just the, how they're getting around it for these trials. Yeah, I was I was just reading an article about the trial in Liverpool that Steve Rotherham has introduced. I think at the beginning of October. Um, Swedish company, I think, uh, as, 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 as providing all these. And I, I was quite surprised to read that as a condition of use. I think you have to have a provisional driving license, don't you, to, yes. to hire them in the first place. So, so they yeah, are. Yeah, because they're classed as vehicles. Yeah. yeah. And you need insurance, which usually the operator has. So yeah, it's all a bit strange. Um, I think before we start to sound like a comment section of a local newspaper on an article around e-scooters, um, I think we should get an expert, a real expert in on e-scooters um, because they are this new tech um, and uh, it's moving very fast. So I think we've got good understanding, but I'd like to um, see what the, the professionals have to say. So our guest today is Phil Ellis. He's the CEO of Beryl. Beryl, a bike share company who have recently diversified um, upon popular demand to, um, to e-scooters uh, based on councils uh, wanting that. And I think it's interesting because we're seeing a, um, a whole host of e-scooter companies um, join the UK market with varying different um, degrees of success. Um, the thing I find interesting about uh, Beryl, Phil, is the fact that you, um, you you didn't start as an e-scooter company, so you're, you're not quite drinking the Kool-Aid all the time. You started um, as a bike company that is trying to include e-scooter um, e-scooters as part of that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and, and Beryl and of course, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Phil. Hello. Hi. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much. Um, well, yeah. So uh, uh, about myself and Beryl. So yeah, as you say, we, we sort of grew up as a cycling company and then, you know, so that's where we've, that's where we've come from and why we are still, you know, we're still consider ourselves a cycling company. Um, yeah, we, started out in consumer cycling. We then started getting involved in what is now called micro-mobility. At the time, it was called cycle hire. Then it was called bike share. Um, and yeah, by selling some of our products to places like TFL and, and New York. And, and then we got to a point where we uh, were introducing our own shared bike systems in, in, and we launched our first one in 2019. As you say, like, like with bikes. Um, and I guess the reason, the reason for that and, and why we're now, you know, it, it maintains its, its, its role as we introduce electric scooters is we're trying really hard to make sure we partner with cities because uh, we think, you know, um, for us to be successful as a business, for us to, you know, make, make money out of operating shared bike share systems, we have to basically secure relationships and contracts that let us in a city for a number of years, you know, like four or five years, and, and, and so that we can build the ridership. Um, and you know, we've also always sort of seen this e-scooter thing coming. And as far as we're concerned, like what we want to be doing is sort of filling out the micro mobility service: bikes, electric bikes, electric scooters, electric cargo bikes for our partner cities. Um, and and you know, if if we didn't involve e-scooters into that. I, I don't think we would have a business of being able to just do bike share on its own anyway. Mm. 
Um, yeah, because we were just saying, um, I was I was told about some uh, ridership figures for the e-scooters, and they and they're sort of double e-bike um, or bike hire, I should say, um, numbers per vehicle per day. It's really the demand's really astonishing. So presumably, that's quite prof- that makes for a profitable business model for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't quite explain it why why they are quite as high as they are. So, for example, yeah, that's exactly right. They're at least or twice as high as an e-bike. And, and higher even than that for, for electric bikes, uh, for, for normal bikes for us. Um, and so, yeah, that makes sense as to why there's been all of these, uh, you know, Silicon Valley, VC funded or European uh, companies uh, and VC funded European companies just sort of plowing into uh, electric scooters because like, the unit economic of that mode is, is, is a good is a good mode. You get a higher revenue and easier adoption. You know, this is for me having worked for, over many years, you know, in the cycling industry, constantly trying to get people on bikes uh, and constantly trying to remove the barriers to people cycling in cities. Scooters are, are, are something that's appealing to people. But I guess, you know, we, we want to put it into the context of that system, right? Because it's not good for anybody. It's definitely not good for cities. If, if we, you know, if we, if we believe bike share is a good thing, which, which I do, you know, uh, it, it's not good for cities if we erode the commercial model of the bike share system by, just sort of, you know, majoring on, majoring on the electric scooters. Like we've got to figure out how they sit together and how, you know, you, 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 you pull together the undeniable excellent policy benefits of like riding a bike and riding a bike share bike with, you know, the, the excellent commercial shot in the arm that you get from any scooter share system. And I guess what we haven't seen is, is like, well, what, what's sort of, and then what we're trying to do, I suppose, and then lots of people are trying to do is, well, okay, so, so like, a, a, how does that stuff fit together? But, but, but also, like, what's the sort of responsible operating model for an electric shared scooter system as well? Like, there's nothing in the DNA of a scooter that means it has to be dockless, for example. Can, can I just ask, um, from, from an outsider's perspective, I think the one thing that people... Uh, often say about e-scooters because they've suddenly become a visible presence. I, mean, I live in London and, and, you know, we were talking just before you came to join us about how, how common a site they are now. Um, the, but the, the one thing that for people who perhaps haven't ridden them, myself included, that you, you, you stop and think, ah, oh, that doesn't look safe. Um, <laughs> and I wonder, I wonder what the evidence is. Are they, you know, kilometre for kilometre, mile for mile, any less safe than riding a bike? I mean, I've, I really have no idea. It just lo- it's just a perception thing, perhaps, that they look unsafe. Yeah, I guess it depends who has funded the academic research paper that has come out that, that week uh, on, on what answer you get for that. It, I think it's probably, you know, probably have to say too early to know for sure, uh, certainly in this country, but I think more generally, it's probably too early to know, but my instincts are the same as yours. They, they, they probably are not as safe as riding a bike either for you or, you know, other road users that, that interact. With Why you. do we think that? I mean, I, I do, I do remember, I yeah. think reading, a, I think some research in Bel- was it in Belgium that suggested that they, in, particularly in the wet, the, the braking isn't isn't really terribly effective, yeah. but I mean, why why is this? Why do you think the same as me that probably on balance they're not they're not necessarily as safe as bikes? I guess there's two things. Right, there's first of all like the, the physical thing itself, which I don't think is is as safe, and then there's 
you know, in observing how people are using them on street, there's like the, the sort of environment in which they're operating in uh, that makes them unsafe, as in, you know, they're illegal. It's not clear to people where and how they should ride them. But on, on the vehicle itself, you know, it's, 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 it, it's physical things like smaller wheels and, uh, you know, proximity to the ground. Um, it's things that we know about from cycling and from electric bikes as well. Like if you've got, you, all of your torque going through a small front wheel, it's more likely to spin out, you know, in a wet surface, especially, you know, that, you know, if you, you, you know, you live in London, there's any manner of painted road surfaces, especially wet. And, you know, we see cyclists going down on, on those sorts of things. So yeah, I think it's kind of, you know, it's those, those sorts of things that make the vehicle less safe. But yeah, I do think there's something to the fact that, you know, at the minute in the UK, it's, there's, there's no sort of, uh, for, for, for actually anywhere, there's not like particularly mature vehicle standards for what these things have to be to make them a bit safer. You know, there's no like accepted training that people have to go to. So they know how to ride them and where to ride them. And then there's like the enforcement thing, right? So they're, they're, the reason people don't ride their bikes on a, in a sort of, uh, dangerous way is because like it's enforced if you drive on the pavement, if you ride your bike on the pavement, regardless of the rights and wrongs of, of like street hierarchy, like it's enforced. Whereas, you know, from a common observer, which is an important part of, of what the, what we should be like figuring out here is like what do people perceive of it? Like if people are riding them on the pavement, it's more dangerous and people assume it's more dangerous. And that like feeds back into a policy loop with, you know, with, with, with lawmakers. Mm. It's culture as well, isn't it? There's a, there's a culture in cycling. I mean, the people you see riding on pavements is quite often kids, but most people who cycle, they, they used to cycle more used to cycling perhaps and would just stay away from pavements. Whereas Pesky kids. you don't really get that. Pesky you don't get that culture. I don't, I don't know. I don't always mind kids riding on pavements because sometimes it's, but sometimes they're, they're doing like a wheelie, maybe not. It reminds, it reminds me, um, I don't know why, but it reminds me because this is also new and we're not sure what to do with them or, or, or whatever. It reminds me of the stories of, um, the first moving pictures and cinemas where a train was coming towards you and people ran out of the cinema. It just, just reminded me of that because it was new. Um, <laughs> what, 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 probably quite a niche reference. Um, what do you think, Phil, to, if you were to describe how the UK's uh, integration with e-scooters or, you know, has gone so far. Um, I think a lot of the general public will sort of be like, well, I can go to, you know, a shop and buy one of these things for 300 quid, or I can pay £4.80 a, a journey. They're the same thing. Why are you being like this? You know, cars are two ton lumps of metal that don't have speed limiters. You're, you know, you're, you're being really touchy on what I do with my private vehicle, etc. So, So a lot of people might think that e-scooter trials were probably like a weird way to do it has it been weird i guess uh and you know what do you make of it all is it too early to say if it's you know someone going well uh is it yeah what do you think yeah well i, I guess like practically speak like it's definitely a bit weird um and and just sort of for information if if for those who may, may not realize like, i think the main reason why it has had to go like that is because there is no sort of legal construct which could have made like all of all electric scooters, a legal vehicle, like an electric bike or, or something like that. And so effectively in, in, in law, in, in simplistic terms, it's kind of, they're like a moped this year. Um, and you can get a special permission to use your electric scooter as a moped. But as soon as you go down that route, it means you need driving license and insurance. And 
So then the question becomes, well, if, if you're allowed to buy an electric scooter from Halfords, how does anybody know if the person then using that scooter has a driving license or is insured? And so then that burden then falls on uh, the providers of shared electric scooters to make sure that your riders have a driving license and have insurance. And so that sort of that logical step therefore sort of makes sense to why the trials have been run in the way they are, i.e. you know, local authority led with a, you know, a competent sharing company who can sort of make sure all those things are ticked. And it's not even then, that, oh, sorry. It's not even that you need like to have passed a driving test. A provisional driving license is enough. It's more like an age thing or almost. Yeah. Well, I think, man, well, again, I think that's like a moped, right? I think you can ride oh, yeah, a moped as a provisional driving license. But yeah, it's definitely then weird because then it creates all these things. Or, you know, if you see hundreds of people riding around on a shared electric scooter, of course, as a, as a, as a you know, consumer, you think you can go buy one and, and, and ride it around. Um, I guess the other thing that's weird about it is, I'm not, I'm not, you know, there's a, a sort of policy thing that says, you know, we'd like to gather as much evidence as possible before we change the law. But I can't see any, any, you know, world in which, you know, if, if the political will is to make these things legal, like they'll just treat it like an e-bike. Right? So I don't think we really need, like, I'm not quite sure about that, that uh, sort of data gathering exercise. Because all the, the Department for Transport's um, gathering uh, data from all of the uh, e-scooter shares around the country, isn't it? And it's looking at what how they're working, any collisions, um, how they interact with other road users, what the public perception is, which is quite interesting in a way. If you're looking at, you were saying that we don't really understand like, why people are using them. Maybe it won't give us that quad qualitative data, but it gives you maybe a bit more quantitative information about like how they're being used and maybe gives us a bit more insight about how they might integrate into the road system. Yeah. I mean, that, that's certainly all, all of the aspirations we have to hope that, you know, are, you know, really well, you know, evidence-led decisions are then made off the back of that um, alongside what seems like a, you know, a, a, probably a good sort of political will to do it as well. Um, so yeah, there's lots of data being gathered, uh, as you say, quantitative, but we we sort of always survey our riders anyway, qualitatively, like if you didn't, you know, use a bike, if you didn't use a scooter, what would you have done? Did you enjoy it? Did you feel safe and that sort of stuff? And so, yeah, we're sort of building up, building up some of that qualitative data ourselves as well. Do you get an idea of who's, of who's riding them? Yeah. Yeah. We, we sort of, uh, gather that, that data where people are willing and want to, to share it with us. Um, you know, we've only had e-scooters on the road now for, what is it? I don't know, uh, a month about. So, it's, you know, we don't have huge amounts of data. I guess in terms of demographics, the interesting thing about our systems today is it's been 55% people ride our, our bikes and e-bikes are female and 45% male, which is awesome. With scooters, I don't know what the gender split is yet, but I know that from a sort of modal shift point of view, and something that is, is a bit surprising to me is it's it's a pretty similar sort of number, it's about 20%. So one in five of our riders have transitioned, have made that journey um, on that rather than in a private vehicle. Um, so at the minute, they're, they're somewhat similar. And I guess I was a bit surprised by that because, um, you know, for, to the cyclist mind, like a bike is way better. <laughs> you know, it goes further. It's more comfortable. It's cheaper. It's better for you. Um, 
and and but, but but mainly like the fact it goes further and you can carry more stuff means it's more likely to replace a car journey. But so far for us, it's pretty similar um, in in terms of modal shift. I mean, this is a slightly tangential to the focus of this episode, but not really. Um, I, I got I, I was very interested in this um, ongoing. Uh, negotiation between central government and TfL about the bailout, and one of the um, one of the kind of leaked proposals uh, that the government were considering imposing. One of the conditions on transport for London was the widening of the congestion. I'm sorry to make this London centric. We often do, but you know it's my experience. Um, uh, it was the widening of the congestion charge by a huge margin to include everything inside the the north and south circular, which is a massive. I mean, if if you can look at a map of London, you'll see what I mean. Quite how much of a change that is, you know, bringing in something like four million uh, people into the congestion zone, and, and you know, the knock on effect to that is that all these journeys that are the bane of our lives, that the the one mile journeys that people do down to the shops, you know, in zone two in London in a car. Well, they are, all of a sudden, that becomes a £15 decision if you want to move your car within the congestion zone, not to drive into central London, but just simply go to go from, you know, up the road. Um, and and it, would be, it would be really interesting if that ever came into force. Uh, how many people then who wouldn't ever consider getting on a bike and just, it's not going to happen, but might well consider... Uh, the 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 scooter option that would be uh, that would be very interesting if that ever happened. Yeah, I think you're right. There's definitely something weird uh, that I haven't figured out yet from a customer experience point of view. Is that yeah, why is somebody just so much happier, or you know, certain demographics of people so much happier just to get on a scooter? Like totally anecdotally, you know, when I launched when I was in Norwich launching our scooters. It is like these sort of like digital natives who uh, are exactly the sort of people who should be riding a bike. Like they're young, able-bodied, fit, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't know. There's almost something to me like yeah, hardwired now in the mind. These, these guys walk past a bike and see like a mechanical thing, and then walk past a scooter, which is like big and like geometric and like looks digital and is digital, and it's just like something that they're happy to get on. So. There's definitely, it's not necessarily the groups of people that I would initially have expected that are probably those people you, you mentioned there, Ned, who may not have thought about using anything other than whatever, you know, driving or, or, or you know, but, but have, have the ability to, um, you know, or have the desire just to get on, get on something else. Um, one thing, uh, leaving London and heading to um, the, the wonderful uh, town of Norwich, um, I, Beryl's running in Norwich, right? So I understand we were talking earlier about speed restrictions and um, Adam had been riding around Coventry and suddenly the thing had gone down to five miles an hour uh, just in front of a bus on a junction. Um, But I understand that in Norwich, you aren't doing uh, geofencing or slow areas. You've kind of made them available and told people to use it like a bike. Um, What's the thinking behind that and how's it how's it panning out yeah, well, I guess the thinking is is that um, you know, for the legacy of, of cycling that it has, people sort of know where is acceptable to ride a bike and how to ride a bike and and, and, and things like that. Um, and so, if the message to customers on this this new thing, this electric scooter, is to sort of you know ride it as you would a bike, the hope is there's less people sort of riding on pavements and there's less people you know jumping over um, you know central reservations and and things like that. <laughs> So, well, if you could do that, that would be impressive without falling off. I've yeah. seen some of the crash videos on Instagram. Sorry. Indeed. Yeah. 
No, but I think yeah, that's like that's the simple the simple view. Um, interestingly enough, that we've been sort of overruled on that, and the the the, the, the DFT sort of the director and the minister has said, no, 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 these these trials must have must have geofencing. So we are implementing geofencing, and it comes in two speeds, as you say. Like one is if you go outside of the area. Um, sort of reduce the power. But then, yeah, this is a really interesting one. Like, and I've seen and heard about Adam's experience of just randomly sort of getting cut down or what feels to provider like getting cut down to a, a low speed. And that, uh, you know, that was a really big reason why we didn't want to sort of do it. And I think there's so many like little technical natty things that operators are proposing and, 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 and local authorities are saying, oh yeah, that sounds good. Let's try that. Um, but there's not that, like there's absolutely loads of them and they all sound cool, but there's not necessarily that many that are like demonstrably effective. They all sound cool, yeah. but they, but when you kind of add them all together, they, um, they, they just make for a really rubbish user experience, don't they? Laura was talking earlier about finding a spot in Paris, a geofence spot. I remember doing that and actually locking the scooter and it's saying, well, you're not actually in the spot. I'm like, well, I am because like, you know, and, and, and things like that, that just, and it begs the question. And it's one of the questions we had on Twitter. Um, and I, I sort of know the answer to it, but, but I think it's, it's worth exploring is why, do we have all this needless rules and regulations for little, little battery powered scooters? Um, uh, and we don't give any of the same stuff towards, um, we don't have speed limiters on cars, for example, and we don't really have the same view of cars being car drivers being on pavements uh, and things like that. Um, and we've developed all this tech, you know, if this tech's available, why don't we use it on car drivers? It sounds great. Like it makes, it makes sense, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The end. Yeah. The end. Totally. It does. Mic drop. Yeah. yeah. I've just sorry. I've, I've just gone down a, a, a while. You guys have been talking a, a complete rabbit hole about um, a pedestrian. As soon as you mentioned Norwich. I just suddenly remembered Alan Partridge and, um, and you I started smiling and I was wondering why I just, I just thought, Oh, I've got to remind myself of that. And I typed into a search engine. I typed into Google the word pedestrianization and the first hit, yes. the first hit that came up was pedestrianization of Norwich city center and Alan Partridge. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. Is this, a, is this a famous sketch? Yeah, it's a famous sketch. It is. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, uh, 1997 Alan Partridge. One of the first things he did, um, in the episode from 1997, Partridge said, I'll be honest, I'm dead against it. People forget that traders need access to Dixons. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, Alan Partridge is way ahead of It's not particularly like, relevant, but it's just made me hoot with laughter again. <laughs> um, Phil, Phil um, would, you, um, would you say that... Um, you think e-scooters are, I think they're here to stay, is here to stay and, and obviously your business model hopes that they would be here to stay. But do you think the e-scooter rental buzz we've got is is purely uh, a get-rich-quick scheme, if you like, from some of the big operators who are plowing things in, getting those seven rides a day, and then when we're allowed private e-scooters, like, no one's going to want to pay £14 a day to hire something you can buy for 200 quid. Yeah, I was thinking it's quite, yeah. sorry, it's quite expensive, like the Liverpool trial. Really expensive. I was quite, I was quite yeah, surprised, like it's yeah. a quid to unlock it and 20p per minute. It's just like, you're going to rack up, you know, 10 minutes, that's a couple of quid, isn't it? Straight away, plus the one pound, you know, it's not cheap and they're not giving it away. Totally. I think that's, that's, that's a really, that's sort of a big point. I can't comment on our competitors and whether they all want to get rich quick, but I can say from our perspective, 
um, yeah, I mean, I think they will stay, uh, and you know, they will, they, they will stay and it is, it is good for us, but I think it is genuinely, I think it is a genuinely good thing if, as long as we, you know, implement them in, in a, in the right way with some of the, in the same way that we have with e-bikes and things like that. But I think that, um, that point, Ned, is is absolutely right. Like, let's not implement shared systems with the pricing model that currently exists, thinking it is, you know, going to be a, you know, commuting option twice a day every day. Like, it, it's just too expensive. And this is what's quite important to us, is why we want to do the mix of bikes, e-bikes, and electric scooters, because, you know, there's really good, and electric cargo bikes, there's really good you know, uh, policy reasons for wanting to encourage all of them, uh, as I said earlier, and good commercial reasons. But yeah, we're able to offer, for example, bike share, you know, to the customer much, much cheaper. We, we, our, our price is 5p per minute. Um, so it works out that we get loads of these short journeys because, you know, you can literally make a journey at lunchtime that costs like, you know, 25p if you wanted to just pop to Greg's or whatever. Um, but yeah, like the, you know, and the e-bikes serve a different purpose because, you know, at the end of the day, like you, you could buy a bike pretty cheap. You could buy a scooter pretty cheap. But you can't really buy an electric bike that's good quality that cheap. So yeah. there's a good reason to have shared electric yeah. bikes yeah. as well. Um, and then shared electric scooters. Yeah, like you, you're definitely not going to have people commuting twice a day, every day on them like we do on our bikes, on our shared bikes. Or, But you might have, you know, in best case, you might have some nice last mile stuff. Um, daily, which is quite short, but but more often than not, you're going to have you know people uh, making ad hoc journeys, uh, enabling a journey out of a car, and often like leisure journeys. There is going to be a lot of revenue generated from leisure journeys on these things as well. They are, like you say, they're super applicable to. I, I take it by last mile, you mean people jumping on a train and, and doing the last bit or a bus. I mean, they are. Yeah. That strikes me as a really good application for, for e-scooters because, you know, love them as much as I do. The old folding bikes and the Bromptons, they're pretty heavy. I mean, you know, they, yeah. they are, they're cumbersome things, even at their very best to get on and off. And they're actually quite big. They take up quite a lot of space, you know, however brilliantly designed they are. But a scooter, that sounds much more feasible. Yeah. And then this, this comes into the next thing, which is important, I think, and goes right to Adam's point around like the trials and shared electric scooter. The problem is that, that, that like the, the, the last mile point is you, for it to be effective, like you have to have a decent uh, system that's well designed and sort of implemented into the city. Because I don't really think like Dockless is is sort of what the UK wants, right? You know, if you, if you get on a bus, you can't just get off whenever you like. You know, you can't, you shouldn't necessarily be able to get on a scooter and just drive it and park it wherever you want. Um, and so therefore, if you are going to facilitate these last mile journeys, you have to agree with the local authority or the highway authority or transport authority, landowners, whoever it is, like where, where are you going to operate from? Where are your pickup points and drop-off points? And that naturally, and that's, I guess, where we're sort of, diverged on these trials, like that takes a long time. That takes sort of, you know, normally when we set up a, a system, it's like minimum six months, often a year, because you have to find all this space. But like the nature of the DFT trial, having to launch really, really quickly means that often hasn't been able to happen. And then I think that's why we see some of the, you know, that's why, that's why Coventry has gone like that, I think, um, because people didn't want the, the free floating uh, and they didn't know that, that so the Coventry trial had been, been paused, I think, and, and because it was, you know, free stockless and scooters everywhere as far as people were concerned, rather than in these park space. There's, um, the, you raise a, a, a good point there on, on the accessibility. There are two 
I think, important questions that we saw a lot on Twitter. One is um, the free-floating nature of them and actually just generally the more street clutter that there is. Um, I should say, you know, my own personal view on the background of all of this is that, you know, we end up giving 98% of the land space to cars and then we sort of put all our vulnerable road users in the 2% and let them sort of hunger games fight it out. Um, and, and that's why we <laughs> cause this conflict. But given, given it is what it is, um, how do you engage with uh, groups um, that, that have mobility needs or, or um, you know, special site requirements and things like that? Um, how do you engage with them? And, you know, I've seen a lot of videos out there of, of you know, e-scooters sort of lying everywhere um, and that being a bad thing. Um, so mm. I just wondered how you go about that and if you think some of it's overplayed because it's new or some of it's a genuine concern. Um, so I think, well, how, how we go about it is, yeah, we, you know, we have sort of urban designers in our team who've worked in councils and, and when we, we're launching in a new area, they will sort of work really hard to identify the, you know, the parking size spaces that we need. We call them barrel bays where people pick up and drop off bikes, electric bikes and scooters. And then we will do a walkthrough with the local, uh, you know, white cane users of visual impairment charities um, who then we sort of, you know, um, there's a, there's an, you know, it depends on the, the local charity, but it, often you can do a walkthrough and then that gets disseminated out through that community of users. Like, oh, there's a new piece of street infrastructure that's going in here. It's this bike docking station or something like that. And, you know, this is how, this is, these are the, the cues to how to avoid it. But like that takes a while. And I guess that's why, you know, we've been a business for eight years or something like that. And we are smaller than businesses that have been businesses for 18 months because it takes us a lot longer probably to, uh, to set up new cities because we, we go through that, that process. And then like philosophically, yeah, I think, yeah, I think free floating, uh, there's nothing like inherently wrong with free floating at all. Um, it's more about like, you know, mobile Offo, the, the, the previous dockless bike companies didn't fail because they were free floating. They failed because they didn't have an operating model that encouraged people to get on their bikes. And I think the same, you know, you say it, it, just because a scooter might be free floating doesn't mean it's definitely going to fail. Like it'll, it'll, it'll fail because there isn't a stake, you know, there isn't sufficient stakeholder engagement with, with, with like the political group of people to say, by the way, this is going to be free floating and they'll be parked in various places. And then like other road users, like, okay, by the way, this is what we're doing with, we're, we're, you know, they're going to be free floating, but we're going to try our best to respond to that, you know, move dangerous ones over this time period, uh, you know, immediately, ideally, and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, so I think you know, the, the middle ground is to just try, you know, you can either do all of that heavy lifting on the stakeholder engagement or sort of meet somewhere in the middle, uh, explain that it's sort of, a, a, you know, a Bay-based system and then target who you need to speak to for that. Phil, you mentioned about uh, OFO and Mobike. Uh, famously, a lot of those bikes ended up in skips or, uh, uh, or, yeah. or, or uh, bike graveyards, uh, as they were termed. Um, we had a few questions on Twitter, I think rightly, um, and I'm, you know, I'm often somebody who will pick up on uh, the electric car revolution and the, the, the issues with the manufacturing costs. Um, what Do you have an idea of 
what the carbon footprint is or how it fares, you know, from cradle to grave um, in, in that respect. And, um, you know, I, I, I appreciate you'll probably say no to this, but is there, a, is there a risk that, you know, after the boom ends uh, and private scooters are allowed, we'll just, these things will just be in, you know, skips or on eBay for 30 quid or, or something, which wouldn't be a problem if they were on eBay for people to use privately. But Jump, for example, we've seen, I think it was jump. We saw jump bikes in a different country in the US sort of being threatened to be chopped up after their use case so, so that people can use them rather than, you know, carrying on delivering to the community in another way. So I'm just, I'm worried that we have all these stuff, we have all these nice stuff and then the venture capitalists might, might realize that actually they don't want other people to have it because it's their asset. Yeah. I mean, uh, so yeah, the vehicles themselves, again, it comes back to like the operating the operating model like you have to you know our, our, our bikes and our scooters are kind of like triggers broom in that you know they'll start life with one broom handle and one broom head or one frame <laughs> and, it's got the reference you know, yeah <laughs> one frame one set of wheels one set of batteries one set of uh you know handlebars and things like that uh, but you know the, the maintenance regime that we have and the operating regime that we have means that if something gets damaged, like, yeah, we'll replace that bit that is damaged, but not the whole, the whole thing. And then you just have this like asset lifecycle management process, which keeps, you know, keeps the big expensive bits like the battery and the motor, which is also the, the bits that are probably quite controversial, uh, in terms of like, you know, the, 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 the sort of raw material extraction, uh, you know, on, on, on street floors as long as you can. I mean, the reality is like, you know, we haven't, and none of the shared electric scooters on, on the road in the UK have, have been on the road anywhere near enough to go through a full life cycle. So, and I, I don't, so you have to sort of take some of the, the um, claims that come out from either manufacturers or operators such as ourselves. You know, you have to, uh, uh, you know, uh, assess it with, a, 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 you know, the right degree of, you know, skepticism depending on, 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 on how it's, how it's worded, because the fact is like, yeah, we just, we, we, we just don't know for sure yet, but we know what best practice is in vehicle operations. Uh, and so we, you know, we, we, we will operate according to that. And I'm sure that's what, what, what the others are trying to do as well. And they've only been around for four years, which is quite astonishing really. So the first ones were dead flimsy. They were child, they were children's toys effectively, weren't they being used to commute and carry adults in a, on a very heavy usage basis. And, and yeah, yeah so it was, and it was kind of a sport to break them for some people. And, that, and I guess that's been solved by the kind of geofencing of parking spaces and not letting them be abandoned in, in places by rivers where it's tempting to lob, lob one in. But um, yeah, I think, I think, you know, um, someone pointed out to me that a car's design cycle is like a decade, basically. So when you come out with new models, it takes like a, it takes like 10 years to do it. Um, and so four years for all these iterations to have come through is, is quite quick, really. And, and the battery stuff and the frame stuff has to be put into context with the kind of alternative, which is, you know, one of the alternatives is, is a private car and, and the, the comparison just isn't really, um, it's, it's just on a different scale, isn't it? So, um, I think sometimes these things get held up to different standards almost like to higher standards. And you kind of think, well, if we're trying to make the, you know, reduce carbon emissions, if we're trying to get cars off the road, if we're trying to reduce road danger, congestion, um, then, then there has to be alternatives. And, and this is a far smaller, uh, thing to produce and a far uh, smaller footprint. But yeah, I mean, obviously you want the batteries to last, you want it to be sturdy, but, um, yeah, I think, I think those are important things to note. Yeah, absolutely. Within like shared 
scooters, like the the scooter wars that happened in you know America and, and and Europe was you know genuinely like wartime innovation, like the cycle with which manufacturers were coming up with better, more sturdy scooters that undoubtedly last longer on the road, and I think definitely you know make make for a, a you know a opportunity to be um you know yeah really positive uh, in terms of uh, um, sustainability. To um to finish up, um, one of the points that we was raised a lot on our on our little Twitter poll and, and asking for people for questions was um uh was not so much a question but a uh, I think an accepted statement that we need infrastructure at the same time as this stuff and I, I worry that um you know bike share and other things like this are our council's way of saying look we're doing something like look at the look we got them outside the station um and actually you know the use as it's been proven in some cities, you know, the using them is, is another matter. Um, what's, what's the responsibility of these companies, including your own to have a part to play in that? And, you know, are, is that something you're actively trying to, to do? Cause I guess it's, you know, it's good for business as well as being the right thing. More bike lanes, mobility lanes, whatever we call them, are going to mean more riders, which is going to mean more money. Um, so, so is that is that the way it's seen? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, we would. You know, it's a virtuous cycle, isn't it? You know, if you create more cyclists, more demand for safe infrastructure, more safe infrastructure creates more cyclists, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, you know, regardless, all of the everything we've talked about, like the one inalienable truth of like active travel is like you just have to build the safe segregated space um like that's like that's the lesson that keeps on getting learned over and over again and you know i'm not you know i, I think a shared bike scooter company you know should sort of you know acknowledge that you you know we'll, we'll benefit from that if it comes in um but we don't just like you know, we, we don't just magically turn a city into cyclists. You know, we do it. We, 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 I sort of see our systems as a big behavior change project sometimes on the side of a big infrastructure project that drives, uh, that, 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 that creates segregated cycle lanes. You know, yeah, we do create cyclists overnight. Um, and we sort of create a bit of a culture shift towards cycling. I think you see that in like Dublin, New York, London, Paris, these places that have these good shared systems, whether it's bikes or electric scooters, like you do see a culture shift toward that mode if you're running it well. Um, but, you know, that would be arrested completely unless you're also feeding, you know, feeding the city with more space. With more Creating space demand for, for bike lanes, isn't it? But more demand for bike, uh, for cycle lanes. They've got to be allies. You've got to be sort of considered, uh, you know, uh, allies because there's more people moving at street level on a, a personalised, you know, accessible thing. It, yeah, it's, it's definitely more people that need protecting and therefore more protection that needs to come. Um, do you think we'll get Alan Partridge on one? Yeah, that's a really good idea. I think we should probably try. We'd have to. You'd have to make it like a Lexus model, and we'd have to supply, you know, leatherback <laughs> riding gloves. So oh I my gosh! Yes, from the Oast House. <laughs> there we Someone go. Might Do not. On the side of it, something offensive, of course, as well. Oh but. yeah, of course. <laughs> um, well, uh, it's been fascinating, and I, I think you know this is a topic that we'll uh, we'll revisit. Um, it looks like you know combining. Uh, 
e-bikes is really interesting with e-scooters. That's all, uh, you know, I think has the, you know, the possibility to give people choice, which I think is what it's all about. We've got to enable this choice, but we've also got to give it to them in the first place. So who knows? The revolution could be motorized um, and, uh, and um, yeah, like more, <laughs> more power to your uh, wheels of all sizes, uh, whether to be motored or uh, pedaled by humans uh, and whatnot. So um, thank you to Phil Ellis, CEO of Bell. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you to Ned, uh, Laura, um, as well for their contributions um, and Ned's rather left out approach to this because of his broken arm. Uh, you could see him gagging to be on an e-scooter uh, as we were talking. Yeah. Um, Anything he, but a car. <laughs> he really does not want to be in that car, does he? Um, you've uh, you've been listening to Streets Ahead. Uh, let us know what you think. We're at Pod Streets Ahead. If you know any other people who would like this podcast, then please do share it with them. It really helps. And wherever you're listening, please do rate and review the podcast. It helps more people find us. Uh, and remember that riding an an e-scooter, private e-scooter on public land is uh, illegal. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.